Welcome to the C3 Church Podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. God's recommendations, they're God's commandments. And um, if you've missed any of them or you have heard them and need to hear them again, you can actually download them and uh, listen to them for free. So I hope that you're going to seize that opportunity to listen to these while you're driving or while you're washing uh, in the kitchen. Just have a listen and uh, reinforce these truths that God has come up with. Secondly, I would like also to endorse Alpha, um, the the church that birthed Alpha is one that we have a very strong relationship with and we work with called Holy Trinity Brompton and uh, the leader of Alpha, Nikki Gumbel's a great friend of ours and I just want to encourage you uh, to seize this opportunity to uh, support this Uh, so that more people can have access uh, to this transforming message. Do you know there's a story um, uh, in the Bible about Jesus going to a region, an area called the Gerasenes, and he meets a very, very troubled man. In fact, the guy's very troubled because he's pretty full of evil demons. And um, Jesus casts out all these demons into 2,000 pigs. They ran down a hill into a lake and they drowned. Now, I have a researcher. So I said to my researcher, look, find out for me how much 2,000 pigs would cost if we wanted to buy them today. So he contacts the British Agricultural Board and we get a letter back, 2,000 pigs would cost 120,000 pounds. So Jesus sacrificed 2,000 pigs to help one man. In other words, one man was worth more than 2,000 pigs. In other words, one man was worth more than the local economy. How much is one person worth? Yeah? So listen, you know, if you've already connected with Jesus and uh, you'd like millions of other people to connect with Jesus, this is one way. And um, as Pastor Phil said, if you're in a position to sow some seeds, uh, equivalent to 2,000 pigs, <laughs> then that would be great to fund this for another year. And uh, really, it, it actually doesn't take many people, does it, to do that? You know, it could be 10 people giving 10,000 each or 20 people giving 5,000 each. It, it can be done tonight. Uh, just to remind you that last weekend, one of the commandments that I we looked at was uh, do not steal And uh, I encourage you to return your stolen goods. Um, If you have stolen goods and haven't returned them uh, to their rightful owner, which would be good to do, but if you can't do that, then we're giving you a kind of uh, uh, a way out by putting them in the amnesty bins. And so those amnesty bins are there tonight, and they'll be there tomorrow morning, tomorrow evening. And all the value of everything that goes into those bins will go to a local charity. So please seize the opportunity uh, to put right what needs to be put right. Um, 
just a couple of books, a book on the Ten Commandments. If you really want to do a little bit more homework and understand a bit more about each one and apply them to your life, Ten Commandments. Um, uh, there's a question in the Bible, what does God want of us? Pretty big question. What, well, what does he want of us? And uh, uh, John Bunyan wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress, all about the journey, the journey, and how to survive the journey and the pitfalls in the journey. Um, and uh, if you want to read a book like that during this season of Lent, uh, before Easter, or for those of you that are undertaking a period of fasting, uh, a book like The Journey is really good. By the way, I, w I do want to, I've got two, two books beside my bed at home. I always have the Bible beside my bed. That's always there. So I've got the Bible. And I have one other book beside my bed. Now, I, I own a lot of books, a lot of books, but I only have one book beside my bed, and that book that I have beside my bed is called Space by Phil Pringle. I actually think it's the best book that I've ever read on faith, and um, and I think that many of us struggle with uh, understanding what faith is. Uh, we've all, as Jesus said, you only need faith as small as a mustard seed. I mean, can you imagine Jesus taking a mustard seed and putting it into the hand of Simon Peter, who he called Rocky? <laughs> right, he puts it there and he says, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain over there, get out of the way. Can you imagine Simon Peter going, whoa? Yes, but sometimes we don't understand what that means and how to apply it. And uh, if you haven't read that book, I urge you, I encourage you. Um, and I've read it and I've reread it. And what I like to do before I go to bed, I always like to read a bit of scripture. And I like to read one or two lines from Pastor Phil's book just to kind of put it in my head, put it in my head, you know. So that when I go to bed, I've fed it, I've fed it, you know. So anyway, these, Ruben, um, could you give these out to free visitors? Right, if you're a visitor and you would like one of these free, put your hand up and you can get one. Now, and if you want to buy one, they're in the bookstore. <laughs> okay, right. Okay, we're looking at tonight's commandment. One wife said, my husband is so temperamental. 50% temper, 50% mental. I don't know whether you can identify with that. By the way, just to let you know, we, I do this every time. Uh, I, I will teach you this commandment now. I will unpack it for you. And um, when I conclude, get to the end, if you feel it's appropriate to you and you would like to apply what you've heard to your life, uh, I will ask you to get up out of your seat, out of the row, come and stand here at the front. Uh, so that you can pray and so that we can pray with you and encourage you on the journey. Uh, I just want to forewarn you that that's what I'm going to do. There was uh, a couple who'd been married for 50 years and the BBC interviewed the couple and then the interviewer said, you know, during the 50 years of your marriage, have you ever thought of divorce? And the man goes, divorce? No. Murder? Well, the Eighth Commandment states, do not murder. Murder is a serious crime, 
because once done, it cannot be undone. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Spontaneous killing, murder in the course of robbery, and terrorist killing have become part of our regular news reports. Road rage is a term used to describe our reactions to those we feel are unfit to drive on our roads. 42% of employees reported that yelling and verbal abuse took place where they work. Most people do not know how to manage their anger. Violence is being pumped into our culture by the megatons. The most popular video games involve violence. And we have spawned a new generation of movie heroes, Rambos, Terminators, lethal weapons who die hard, <laughs> who are not exactly walking models of constructive anger management. You know, we can actually break this commandment by passive inaction. If we send a person away naked when we could have clothed them, we may have let them freeze to death. If we see anyone suffer from hunger and we do not feed them, we may have let them starve to death. The commandment mandates us to pursue those things that preserve and enhance life. The sixth commandment deals with the protection and the sanctity of all human life at every stage of development from conception until natural death. All acts of deliberate murder are violations of this commandment because they involve the devaluation of human life. Abortion was legalized in the United States in 1973. And hundreds of other countries followed. One in five pregnancies ends in abortion. Abortion is wrong even if it is a right. Christianity teaches that life is valuable from the moment of conception and the child in the womb expresses consciousness, humanness, and pain. Now, if you have committed, if you've had an abortion, I want to pause now for a moment and I want to pray for you. Probably, I would imagine in an audience of this number here, <coughs> there's at least 50 women here who've had an abortion. 
I would not be surprised if it's not more. And I would like to pause and I'd like to pray. I don't want to wait till the end. I'm going to start now and then we'll proceed with unpacking this commandment more. Could I ask all of you to close your eyes? And um, those of you, this, this particular topic does not have any relevance. You might just like to think about the statistic that I gave you, that one in five pregnancies ends in an abortion. But for those of you that have had an abortion, I'd like to pray into your situation. Father God, show mercy to every woman who has had an abortion. We pray healing for any pain, guilt, fear, loss, and grief they may feel. We pray that this moment may be a funeral for each child as each woman's heart, soul, and mind is healed of their past decisions and actions. We give you each child, and may they rest in your loving care. If any woman was forced into the decision by their partners or parents, please help them to forgive them. We also pray for any partners or parents here to receive your forgiveness and healing. For those of you wanting a child after abortion, if any woman's reproductive tissues have been damaged by the procedure or guilt has invaded their soul and have thought that God does not want them to have a child, we now offer those thoughts and issues to you, Jesus. Please prepare their womb for a full-term, healthy and happy child. Please help each woman to know that they are forgiven by the incredible love and compassion of Jesus who came to set the captives free. And we pray these prayers in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. If what I've just spoken about is relevant to you, I, I, I know this is sensitive, but I would love it if you were able to come out here later on. And um, for two reasons. One, confession breaks the power of something over us. And then two, we would just want to pray over you and into you. You don't have to say much, but you could just say, I'm responding for that. You can say as much as you want or as little as you want. Uh, but it'll be so good to be able just to pray and so that you can just leave feeling that the past is past. Don't soar sawdust. Too many people are living in the past. 
and we need to be set free for the future. Jesus' interpretation of the sixth commandment included not only acts that cause death, but also actions and attitudes that cause harm. So, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say that anyone who is angry with someone without cause will be subject to judgment. Grudges, resentment, prejudice, racism, bitterness, and hatred are harmful to life. And sometimes our language is full of deadly venom. I wish you'd never been born. Drop dead attitude. And we say, if looks could kill, well, in a sense, they can. Rage and hatred are murderous things. They can distort our demeanor so that our very faces reflect death. And when it's written all over your face, you don't have to say a word. You know, on, on Monday, my wife and I, uh, we were driving back from the city um, in a taxi. And uh, uh, we're driving back, and this, this guy on the street shouts out to, to the cab driver, you effing, biffing, you shouldn't be in the effing bus lane, you wog. Like that. Now, the thing is, <laughs> I'm giving you the edited version. The thing is, that Aussie was an idiot. In fact, you know, he's probably Australia's git of the year. Why? Because cab drivers are allowed to drive in the bus lane. <laughs> Two, he wasn't a wog, he was from Fiji. <laughs> you know, I really wanted to kind of get my head out, you stupid, but you know, I was giving this talk, so I couldn't really. <laughs> but I mean, there are so many idiots around, aren't there? You know, the, I, I, I was having breakfast at a hotel and the waitress was so grumpy, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. And I noticed, I saw her wedding ring and I started to feel sorry for her husband. <laughs> I couldn't believe how sad I was feeling. I felt, poor man, if she's paid to be nice to me, what is she like when she's not paid? <laughs> and then she brought my breakfast, and instead of laying it, laying the plate down, you know, just like that, she kind of like dropped it, and, and the, the eggs just went over the plate, and she didn't say anything. So she started to walk away. I said, excuse me. 
and I and I thought, you know, I I've got to engage this woman. I said, would it be possible for you just to say a kind word to me to accompany my breakfast? <laughs> she bent down, whispered in my ear, "Don't eat the eggs." You know, when it's written all over your face, you don't have to say a word. A very thin line separates violence of feeling from violence of action. You know, married couples will argue and say, I hate you. Never loved you. Don't know why I married you. And often the people we get angry at the most are those we are closest to. To dwell above with those we love, oh, that would be glory. To dwell below with those we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> there are three common expressions of anger. The first is the maniac. Now, the maniac, they, they, they are the, <laughs> the exploders. They blow up, they throw things, they yell, they rage, they spill out all over. Sibling rivalry was the cause of humanity's first murder. And in a fit of jealousy, Cain killed his brother Abel. Temper is one thing you cannot get rid of by losing. Maniacs put their mouth in gear before they engage their mind. People who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. People who blow a fuse are usually in the dark. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. One, the maniac. Two, the mute. These are the people who, it's all about denial. It's repressed. And some people don't like to admit that they're actually angry. You know, they conceal how they feel. You know, some people stoically put on a very good front and pretend to feel no anger at all. And they express surprise that anyone would suggest that they're angry. Who? Me? Angry? I'm not angry. It's come. It's all held in. And we bury our anger and we're burying it alive. Usually it's our body that feels the effects of repressed anger. The blood system producing heart attacks. The stomach muscles enhancing strokes. The muscles tense up, elevating blood pressure. The di digestive tract is affected, producing ulcers. In 50 AD, Seneca wrote this. Anger is an acid that can do 
more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Thirdly, the manipulator. Like the resentful wife who is angry with her husband, so she deliberately burns his breakfast. The manipulator retaliates in an underhand way. You know, sarcasm, jibes, little insults, hurtful humor. And people with resentful anger get their feelings hurt, but they never get over it. Think how a single incident can get neighbors embroiled in a conflict that causes them to be enemies for decades. Family members often hold resentful anger for a lifetime. The maniac, the mute, the manipulator. Which one of those are you? A bit of each. How do we manage our anger? Here are the principles. Principle one, I need to admit my anger. Principle one, I need. When you have to swallow your own medicine, the spoon seems very large. Admit it to yourself, admit it to your partner, admit it to God. And we make things worse when we pretend it's not a problem. In order to stop defeating ourselves, we have to first stop deceiving ourselves. If we don't talk it out, we will take it out on other people, on God, and on ourselves. It's very interesting that 375, well, in the Bible, the word angry, anger, is used 455 times. 375 of those times, it refers to God being angry. Jesus himself was enraged with justifiable anger, with the money changers in the temple. Now, there is legitimate anger, but we must not sin. The issue is not how are we going to get rid of anger, but how can we express anger in non-destructive ways? Second principle, I need to deal with anger immediately. Second principle, I need to deal with anger immediately. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Don't hold on to it. Don't let it turn into a grudge. People who fight fire with fire end up with the ashes. So the Bible says this. Ephesians chapter 4. Don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. When we hold on to anger, it opens us up to evil implications and evil influences. Anger repressed hardens bitterness in the heart. 
anger fermented in the heart easily turns to hate. And then we do odd things to get even. So the Bible says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now that's a great rule for husbands and wives. Because if we go to bed angry, we lie down, and then all that anger starts eating us like a parasite. Hot heads and cold hearts never solved anything. Peace of mind is better than giving them a piece of your mind. A wife was asked, do you wake up grouchy in the morning? She replied, no, I usually let him sleep. <laughs> Have a good sense of humor about it. Do you know that it takes more inner strength to forgive than it, do, than it does to inflict revenge? And sometimes we need to let God exercise justice. Let God exercise it. So that's why the Bible in Romans chapter 12 says, Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For it is written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. Principle three. I need to understand anger. Principle three. I need to understand anger. You see, anger is usually covering a hurt. And if you look under the hurt, you will find an expectation. And if you look under the expectation, you will find a need. A hurt, expectation, a need. Hen. You'll always find a hen under anger. A hurt, an expectation, and a need. And a sequence of irritating events can build up pressure until finally a relatively insignificant incident can trigger an eruption. Now, you may be angry with your parents, and now your partner breaks the dam and gets the total flood dumped on them. Whether we're on the road or we're in an argument, when we see red, it's time to stop. Poise is the act of raising the eyebrows rather than raising the roof. Principle four. I need to stop and think before I speak. Principle four. I need to stop and think before I speak. Speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. The best time to keep your shirt on is when you're hot under the collar. If you keep your mouth shut, you won't put your foot in it. So the Bible says in James 1 verse 19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. The Bible in Proverbs 15, a great answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. You see, the problem with anger is that it seldom gives us what we want. In fact, it usually does the exact opposite. You know, if somebody's like a, a maniac, 
and explodes and has thrown all the plates and smashed this and done that. Have you discovered that people don't say, oh, it's really great that you've blown up and blown a fuse. We love it when you do that. <laughs> Nobody ever congratulates them, do they? And they never really get what they're trying to achieve. So stop, think before we speak. Fifth principle, I need to ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. Fifth principle, I need to ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. Why? Because his Holy Spirit, when, when his Spirit lives in us, his Spirit will produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are what the Bible calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The more you allow the Spirit of God to work in, our, in your life and in my life, the more these fruits will be produced. So, are you a follower of Christ? How long for? Five months? Five years? Fifteen years? How fruity are you? How fruity are you? You see, everybody in the whole world needs a new heart. Everyone needs a new heart. Everyone does. There was a mother who said to her husband, darling, look after Annie for me. I need to get on. And the father said, fine, okay. Uh, and he thought, well, what could he do to occupy the, his daughter? And he's flicking through a magazine and he sees a map of the world. And he says, uh, Annie, watch what I'm going to do. He cut the map of the world into small squares and he muddled them all over the floor. He says, Annie, I want you to put the squares back together again to make the map of the world. When you've done that, come and find me. So the father thought, oh, that's good. That'll keep her busy. A few minutes later, she says, Daddy, Daddy, I've done it. He thought she couldn't really have done it. Went to have a look. All the squares were put in exactly the right place. He said, Annie, how did you know where to put all the squares? She said, well, when you were cutting the map out, I looked on the other side. And I saw a picture of a man and a woman. And I thought, if I could put the man and the woman back together again, I could put the world back together again. <laughs> you see, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Repeat that. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's worth tweeting. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's the heart of everything that's wrong in the world today. You see, there, there are problems in the world today. We all agree there are. Well, don't you agree? There are problems in the world today? Yes? It's very interesting that all the people who know how to solve the world's problems are too busy cutting hair and driving taxi cabs. <laughs> Have you noticed that? I said to my hairdresser, it's a great shame you're too busy cutting hair. You could be the prime minister. <laughs> In like 25 minutes, she told me how the whole country should be run. <laughs> Look, governments are doing their best to alleviate the symptoms. Social agencies are doing their best to alleviate the symptoms. Charities are doing their best to alleviate the symptoms. But if you're only going to alleviate the symptoms, you're always going to have them forever. 
unless you deal with the root cause. The root cause is the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. God wants to recreate the heart. Recreate the heart. But you see, if you've already received the Spirit of God, you don't need a new heart. But your arteries might be blocked. And that's the problem with so many people who call themselves followers of Christ, Christians, is that their arteries have been blocked because of hurts, habits, hang-ups. And so those arteries need the breath of God to blow them clean so that the Spirit of God, rest, resident in us, can produce So I would say, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're lacking any of those, and you have been a follower of Christ for a while, then that probably is an indicator that you've got blocked arteries. And if you haven't let the Spirit of God in your life, then you've still got a hard heart not a spiritually conditioned one. And God is saying, let me do that. Let me do that. Society says the lawbreaker is a criminal. Jesus said every criminal act begins in the heart. Society tries to reform people, but Jesus says I can transform you. You see, we're not talking about reformation. We're talking about transformation. The sixth commandment, do not murder. Murder is the ultimate form of anger. We must guard our anger and keep it under control. Don't let it get to the point that we actually take someone's life. Have you committed murder? Have you ever committed murder in your heart? Have you ever committed murder with your words? Do you need to get a handle on your anger? Would you like to have your life filled with God's presence, peace, and power? It's a choice, and God gives us that choice. God is not a spiritual rapist. He gives us that choice. He will not force himself onto us. And if we don't want to have God, we don't have to have God. And do you know what hell is? Hell is a place without God. So if you don't want God, you can go to a place where he doesn't exist. But you've got to remember this. So much of God is in this earth. I cannot imagine a place without God. God is light. Remove the light, you're in darkness. Do you need to get a handle on your anger? 
Would you like to have your life filled with God's presence, peace, and power? It's a choice. We've probably all broken, I think, this commandment in some way. The amazing thing is this, that God forgives even murder, literally. There are three people that are recorded in the Bible. Moses, David, and Paul. Moses murdered somebody. David murdered somebody to cover up his adultery. And Paul murdered people. And God took three ex-murderers to write most of the Bible. That's pretty good news for murderers. (laughs) I I used to work in a prison in Belfast called Crumlin Road in the height of the Troubles. And, uh, uh, 1980, 1981. And um, I remember uh, the first chapel service that I was in. And uh, they're all lifetimers, all murderers. And I can remember thinking, oh my word, you know, what, you know, what can you say? What can you say? And that was the first time I ever thought of this. Hey, wait a minute. God used three ex-murderers to write most of the Bible. As soon as I got that idea, I was flying high. <laughs> and I was telling all these lifetimers and murderers, I've got great news for you. And if God can forgive three murderers, he can forgive you. And it was amazing. They were going, yeah, yeah, choo, choo, choo. And, and, um, but it was so funny because the uh, wardens, they thought a riot was going to start. And they started shouting at me to calm down and calm down. And I, well, I couldn't, I couldn't. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, God allowed his son to be murdered. I may hurt other people by my actions and by my attitudes. I may hurt myself by my actions and attitudes. But most of all, I hurt God. Because my actions and my attitudes crucified Jesus. So I I may hurt other people. I may hurt myself. But the one I hurt most is Jesus. Because my actions and attitudes got him crucified. Jesus died with his arms stretched wide as if to embrace even his executioners. God allowed his son to be murdered so that we could be given life and be transformed. Transformed from being those who hate and despise, those who bear grudges and bitterness, And those who take life to become those who are life givers and peacemakers. Peacemakers. I was doing my shopping at a supermarket and I got to the checkout till. And the lady on the checkout till, she had a cross around her neck. 
And I said, oh, hello. I said, you're a Christian. She said, what? <laughs> I said, you're a Christian. She said, what, what are you talking about? I saw her name tag. I said, it was Tracy. I said, Tracy. Uh, I said, you've got a cross around your neck. Oh, she goes, it's nice. It's nice. I said, Tracy, it was not nice. It was nasty. <laughs> she looked at me as though I was an alien that had just landed from another planet. Anyway, so I'm putting the shopping on the conveyor belt and we're packing, we're, we're, we're talking. And I said, listen, Tracy, if I had an earring here and you said to me, what's your earring? I said, that one there, that's a gas chamber. No, yeah, gas chamber. Why are you wearing a gas chamber earring? I said, well, I like to remember how millions of Jewish people died in the Second World War. And then you said to me, what's your other earring? That one there, that's an electric chair. No, electric chair. Why are you wearing an electric chair earring? And I said, well, I like to remember how certain murderers in the United States got executed for their crimes. I said, Tracy, what would you think of me if I was walking around with an electric chair earring and a gas chamber earring? She said, I think you'd be like, you know, loony, loony, you know, mental, you've lost it. I said, Tracy, is that because they're symbols of execution? She goes, yeah, yeah, symbols of execution. I said, Tracy, what are you wearing around your neck? And there was a moment like that. The whole supermarket went quiet. It was a mega store. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and she went, she stopped and went, Caw. I said, Tracy, you've got to remember this. Jesus didn't wear it around his neck. He wore it on his back. Big difference. There was a school bus driver. He was the bus driver of little children out in the countryside. And after a day at school, he got all the little children onto the bus to drive them to lots of little villages. He drove out of the schoolyard. He began to drive down a very, very steep hill. As he's driving down this steep hill, something kind of snaps, breaks. And, and he finds that his brakes are just not holding. Panic. As, as, as the bus is careering down the hill. What's he going to do? If it comes off the hill, hundreds of feet down the bank, who knows what would happen? But at the bottom of the hill, he knew it very, very well. There was a field to the left. He thought, I know what I'm going to do. When I get down there, all I'm going to do is swerve the bus round, and then it'll go into this field. I'm, I, it'll slow down. We'll be able to save all the children. But at the entrance to the field, which he could see clearly, there was a little boy playing. He had to make a decision. He swerved the bus over the little boy into the field. Eventually, the bus slowed down, stopped. Eventually, the police, the parents, grandparents, they all arrived. They, when they heard about what had happened, there was this great relief that their little children, their grandchildren, they, you know, they were in such danger, but they're safe. When they got the details of what had happened, they were concerned about the bus driver, but they couldn't find the bus driver. They asked the policeman, where's the bus driver? How is the bus driver? The policeman said, well, he's actually in deep shock. Now, that's not surprising, actually, because it was a pretty shocking experience. But they inquired 
deep shock? And the policeman said, yes. He ran over his own son. Something like that happened when God gave his son. But there was a big difference between the little boy and Jesus. The little boy had no choice. Jesus did. He chose to give his life, to set us free from darkness and deliver us from evil and bring us out of darkness into his light. Do you know what is incredible? While Jesus was hanging on the cross, he's hanging on the cross. And while he's hanging there on the cross, there are two soldiers who are throwing dice, gambling for his robe. At the greatest moment in history, people were playing games. Don't play games with Jesus. Don't play games with Jesus. And you can walk out here tonight and say, I don't want to be a Christian. I would not advise that, but that's your decision. But I tell you this, if you walk out here tonight and say, I don't want to be a Christian, that's your decision. Don't you ever say a negative word about Jesus. He's the life giver. He's the author of life. And he's the one that allowed himself to be sacrificed, to set us free, to experience life. Have you encountered Jesus? If you haven't, in a few minutes, get up, out of your seats, come and stand here and say, hey, I want to encounter Jesus. I don't want to play games anymore. I don't want to play games. Have you committed murder? I've already mentioned abortion. We just want to pray healing over you. I just want to ink in the, the earlier prayer that we prayed. Please come. Have you committed murder in your heart or murder with your words? Do you need to get a handle on your anger? Research has shown that husbands, men, or partners batter one in four women. One in four marriages or partnerships, the, whim, the woman gets battered. If, if you're that man, come out here and begin to break it. Are you prejudiced? Are you racist? Are you harboring violence 
just under the surface. As well as having um, the amnesty bins to return stolen goods, if you do have any video games that are just pure evil and violent, bring them back tomorrow and drop them in there and we will destroy them for you. Have you got destructive implements? Knives, guns, ammunition that you shouldn't actually have anyway. Drop them in the bin tomorrow. Do you know, I, 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 I did this in a city in England called Liverpool. <laughs> Beatles country. There was so much ammunition there were so many guns, knives, and ammunition that the police had to send two armoured vehicles to take it away. It was like a mountain of ammunition. If you've got flick knives, anything that you shouldn't have, come as a way of saying, I'm getting cathartic symbolism and getting rid of it. Do you know that washing machines, did you know this? I need to discover this recently. They have a device in them called the agitator. <laughs> did you know that? I didn't know that. Someone actually told me and I didn't believe them. So I had to do some research. Well, now I got my researcher to do the research. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in spite of all the detergent, all the fabric softener, the rinse cycle and water, there's only one thing that ensures that clothes are clean. And that is a little thing called the agitator that's part of the wash machine. The agitator makes sure that dirty clothes become clean. God is our holy agitator. <laughs> it's time to get clean. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church podcast. Visit us online at myc3church.net. Join us next time for more great teaching.